put the call out to you, the church, to say what topics, what subjects would you like us to speak on? So literally, we're asking you to ask for the topic, and we asked you, and you asked for it, and now I'm going to be bringing the first message. Uh, We had tons and tons of questions and topic suggestions come in. Um, A lot of them we won't unfortunately be able to cover all of them. As you can imagine, there are more that come in than we're able to cover. But one of the ones that has come in has come in multiple times, especially as you can imagine when you hear what it is soon, um, with what is going on in our government at the moment and a certain bill that's about, uh, that's currently going through our government, there was a question that's come up multiple times, and it's probably one of the most difficult and most weighty questions that has been asked, and one of the most difficult and weighty messages I have and probably will ever write in my writing message career, if you can call it that. Um, This morning, the topic that has come in as is understandable, is around the legalization of abortion. And the question that's come across our desk and through the channels that we put out there for people to put questions in uh, was questions like, what should we as Christians believe about abortion? What does God think about abortion? What does the Bible think about abortion? And how am I supposed to, as a Christian, respond to what is happening in our government at the moment? So I am going to attempt, with your prayers, to um, answer some of these questions today. However... I want to begin this message by letting you know that I am in no way an expert on this issue, no way at all. Um, I have, of course, done research and reading into this topic while I've been preparing for it. I have um, read medical reports, I've read research reports, I've listened to TED Talks, I have met with people who have had abortions, I have read stories of people who've had abortions. Um, I have leaned on the wisdom of my mother who was a crisis pregnancy counsellor for 20 years. Um, I will not be able to do it justice in the 20 20 minutes now that I have um, this morning. I am not even going to come close to having all of the answers. Now as a church, especially if you're new and visiting with us, welcome. Welcome this morning. If you are new and visiting with us, if this is your first time at Elam, I just want you to know that we would not normally speak about every bill that is passed through our parliament. It's not usually something that we would do. However, as a leadership of this church and under the leadership of Pastor Luke and Marilyn, as an issue of life or death, we actually feel it's our responsibility to have a voice on this issue as a church. And so I'm going to attempt to do that this morning. Um, I also want you to know that my heart for this message is that I would be able to bring it with complete and utter grace. Um, It's my prayer that no one in this room would feel in any way condemned, in any way judged, or in any way shamed. I understand that in a room this size, there will be a number of women in the room who have walked the journey of abortion or termination. I also understand that there will be a number of men in the room who have walked the journey with their partner of going through a termination or abortion. I understand that this topic is complex. I understand that with it, this topic also carries for a lot of people a lot of pain. And I understand that everyone has a story. 
And I've come to realize that unless you have sat in the position of actually having to go through and journey through the process of making a decision like this, we may never actually understand what it's like to be sat in that seat. But we want you to know today, as a lead, from the leadership of this church, and I'm sure from many, many people sitting in this room, that we love you, that God loves you, and that his heart is for you. I am simply a woman, a mother, and probably on the platform that I'm standing today, more importantly, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian who is much like you, simply attempting to both stand firm and love well in our shifting culture of compromise. And so with all that being said, I think it's probably appropriate that I pray right now. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are here in this room. I thank you that your presence is with us. And I lift up this discussion to you today. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us all a picture of your heart for this topic. I ask for your love, your understanding, and your wisdom to shine through. Help me, Lord, as I communicate today with both grace and truth. We need you as we talk about this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In order to bring everybody up to up to, like, onto the same page with this issue and this discussion, I just want to give you a little bit of information as I have come to understand it about what is happening in our government at the moment. The bill that's been presented to government in the last month is, uh, looks to amend the law to decriminalise abortion in New Zealand. It, is the first, it was first introduced to Parliament on the 5th of August and passed its first Bill of Reading on the 8th, um, and it's now at Select Committee, and I do believe that submissions can still be made at this point by you and by me, um, and I would encourage you to do so, and perhaps this whole thing will help you in doing that. Um, the government has proposed a policy shift to treat abortion as a health issue rather than a criminal issue. This would involve removing criminal offences regarding abortion and treat abortion like any other health service, which are governed by the general health laws and by professional guidance. Um, we need to take note here, though, that under the current law, it is a crime to perform an abortion unlawfully or to supply the means of performing an abortion unlawfully, like drugs or, um, or instruments, uh, but women are explicitly exempt from um, liability, which means that a woman cannot be criminally charged for having an unlawful abortion under the Crimes Act in New Zealand. Um, and since 1972, when the, law, uh, when the current law was enacted, the Ministry of Justice has absolutely no record of any woman ever being uh, convicted for, for receiving an unlawful abortion. The policy, the focus of this policy shift is entirely on the well-being of the woman seeking an abortion. The government seeks to remove that element of censure that the criminal law entails and make an abortion more accessible with fewer delays. That's what this new law will do. Um, but under the current law, as it sits now, the Crimes Act of 1961, an unborn child has afforded some 
protection and, while minimal, some legal protection and recognition. In contrast to this, treating an, ab the abortion, an abortion like a health issue, as this new bill suggests we do, and removing it from the Crimes Act will then give the unborn child the same status as an appendix, tonsils, or the gallbladder, simply tissue removed as part of a health procedure. So what would this mean? What would this new abortion law per permit? Well, up to 20 weeks, an abortion could take place for any reason. With no tests, um, an abortion would be available with no restrictions, no statutory tests. After 20 weeks, there would be some testing, but it's still very, very broad. Uh, abortions would be available if just one medical practitioner, the one who's, choose, who's going to be in, um, performing the abortion, believes that it's reasonable and appropriate based on the mental health and well-being of the woman involved. Now, there is a whole lot more to this issue. There is a whole lot more to the bill that I have not been able to mention today. There's a bunch of stuff that it means or doesn't mean that we could go into, but I don't have time to do that today. I would encourage you to go and do a little bit of searching and research on your own. There's a website which I'll put up, or it could be put up now, I guess, but I will put them up at the end as well. The Family First website, familyfirst.org.nz, they have got a, a, a page, a campaign going on at the moment called Love Them Both, and it's really, really um, helpful, and it speaks in very good plain language that you and I can both understand about um, what this issue is all about. But I thought we'd just take a moment to have a look at some statistics in our nation so we can see the state of it for New Zealand. So if we're looking at New Zealand in 2018, when it comes to abortions, 13,282 induced abortions were performed in New Zealand last year. 52% of all abortions were for women who are aged in their 20s, and 38% of all abortions were for women aged in their 30s or over. Uh, the median age of a woman to have an abortion at the moment is 27 years and 7 months. Um, so 60% of all abortions performed last year were in the 10th week of pregnancy. 19% of all known pregnancies, 19% of all known pregnancies, whether that's a live birth, a stillbirth, or an abortion, ended in abortion. Now, I think what struck me as I read those statistics and as I looked through the more detailed statistics of it, I've just summarized it there for you, but as I looked through the more detailed statistics, what struck me is that there's a common held belief, I guess, that goes around that, um, that it's teenage girls that find themselves in the predicament of an unplanned pregnancy that carry out, that go and have abortions. I think there's this stereotype commonly held when people envisage um, abortions, we envisage irresponsible teenagers relying on it as some form of of contraception. But the statistics and the research actually show us that that is not necessarily the case. And for majority of, of people, it is not the case. About one in four Kiwi women are estimated to have carried out, to have, have had um, a termination of a pregnancy, which means that every single one of us probably knows someone who has. A and if we don't know that anyone who has, it's probably just because they haven't told us that they have. I have learned that there are a number of different reasons. It's not just about irresponsible teenagers. There are so many different reasons, that, and they vary in complexity, as to why someone may choose this decision. 
um, being too young or not ready is a reason, but so is not wanting to disrupt study or career, having a partner who doesn't want a child, being in a relationship that's violent or unhealthy, um, being in a relationship um, that is through like an affair, a pregnancy through an affair, not being in a relationship at all and being alone, financial reasons, people can't afford it, What uh, that some people just don't want any other kids, and um, they've already got a number, um, pregnancy through an act of sexual violence such as rape, complications and deformities with baby, health complications for the woman, accidental pregnancy in the postpartum stages of a prior pregnancy. And in most cases, in most cases, the woman involved felt like they had absolutely no other choice or no other option. Now, I have to admit, as I began this process, it took me on a bit of an emotional roller coaster ride. And there were a number of times as I listened to stories and as I read stories, there were a number of times where there were those really extreme cases. And I sat there conflicted in myself because I thought, well, yeah, I can, I can empathize with you. I can empathize in the complexity of your circumstance. I can empathize with you in the difficulty of this decision. But I think what we have to acknowledge here today and acknowledge as our government discusses this at a much more in-depth level, that this discussion is not about the extreme cases. It's not just about the extreme cases. This is about changing the law for all cases. So where do we as Christians sit? What should we believe and what should we think? Well, we live in a society where everyone has a platform to speak their opinion. Literally, everyone can jump on a public forum and share their opinion about any issue. And oh, we do, right? Whether it's about abortion or whether it's about LGBT, whether it's about um, euthanasia, whether it's about legalizing marijuana, which is on the TV a lot nowadays, whether it's about, I don't know, the shootings in Christchurch or Israel Folau's Instagram page. Everyone has their opinion and everyone seems to speak it out. We have become a society that's completely obsessed with posts and likes and tweets and retweets and shares and, and sharing different articles and posts and all sorts of different things. We seem to now be in a world where the, 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 the opinion, whoever can defend their view the loudest, wins. And yet, as I have delved into this issue, and I have sat and I have looked at all different angles and all different sides, and I've looked through different means, I've looked it in and I've sat there, and I've th at, at the end of it, the only conclusion I can come to is that it actually doesn't matter what that person giving the TED Talk thinks. And it really doesn't matter what my favorite celebrity thinks. It, you might be interested in what I think, but it really doesn't matter what I think. Because if I am a Christian, and if I'm committed to serving, loving, and growing in and knowing God, then it 100% matters what he thinks. And we learn that by looking at the word of God. He has given us his word as a guideline for these types of issues. So what does the Bible say? What does God say? Well, actually, the Bible doesn't mention the word abortion, which was not helpful to me. <laughs> it doesn't mention the word abortion. 
So I have to look at it a little differently. I can't just go to the most obvious verse. However, the Bible is clear that God is the creator of life. And life is precious, born and unborn. And so there are a number of things that the Bible does say and does talk about that will help us shape our views as Christians. And that's what I want to give you today. So number one, the number one thought that the Bible speaks about that will help us in our view shaping of this issue is that God is the giver of life. God is the giver of life. God took the dark and formless nothingness and he made everything. He made all things, including man, including you and I. From dust, God created man. Genesis 2 verse 7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. From nothing he gave humanity life. Life cannot happen without the power of God, breathing it into existence. In Isaiah 42 verse 5, it says, this is what God, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to all those who walk on it. God is the giver of life. Now, the most significant debate when it comes to this topic is where does life begin? Where does life begin? Is the unborn child fully human or is it tissue? It cannot be both. When does human existence begin? Well, science tells us that from day one, from fertilization, that every human chromosome is present for life. It also tells us that at 19 days, a heart starts to beat, and a baby has its own blood type, often very different, a different blood type from his or her mother. By the end of week three, the baby's backbone, spinal column, and nervous system has begun to develop. The liver, the kidneys, the intestines and the, are all beginning to take shape all of this has happened before a pregnancy is often even discovered. Now, because the Bible clearly shows that God is the giver of life, I can only conclude that God is for life. God is for life. Number two, number two, all life is both precious to and known by God. All life is both precious to and known by God. On the sixth day of creation, God's last act was to create humankind. He made man in his image and not to resemble any other creature that he'd created before him. I think we're all pretty happy about that, right? Humankind was made to reflect the image of his creator. Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. Now, Bible scholars translate that phrase, created in his image, as created as his image. In other words, we are a direct copy of our creator, made to resemble him in every way. As all people are God's creation and representation of him in humanity, we carry tremendous value to him. We are incredibly precious to our Creator. And Scripture also contends that life begins before birth and refers to the born and the unborn interchangeably. For example, God reassures Jeremiah, the prophet, of his importance by showing him that before he was even born, he was known by God. 
God knew him as fully human before his birth. In Jeremiah 1.5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. King David also wrote about it. King David knew that God had fully known him before he was born. In Psalm 139, verse 13 and 16, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All of the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Because the Bible clearly shows that all life is precious to and known by God, I can only conclude that God is for life. He is for life. Number three, when it comes to this issue, we need to remember this, that God's heart is toward the vulnerable. His heart is toward the vulnerable. The Bible is chock full of passages about this that reveal God's heart for those who are in need and those who are vulnerable. There's a number of them I've included in your notes there. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Hold up the case of the poor and the oppressed. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, and bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. Now, it would seem to me that the unborn child is possibly the most vulnerable of all, of all humans, and they are the ones who need our protection the most. They are the ones who have no voice. They are the ones who have no one to speak on their behalf, who need someone to speak on their behalf. Now, because the Bible speaks so much about God's heart toward those who are most vulnerable, I have also only to conclude that, especially for the most vulnerable, God is for life. He is for life. So as a Christian, and hey, it's okay if you and I disagree today. The only position I can with good conscience take on this matter is to be for life. And some may say that that means that I'm anti-choice. No, I'm not anti-choice either. I am both. I'm for both. I think it's important that as women, and I, I, I'm a woman, so I think it's important that as women, I want a choice over my body. I think it's important that women have a choice over what happens to their body in all the different ways and circumstances that that might cover and look like. But I do understand, and I think we teach this to our children as they're growing up, that all of our choices have consequences, and all of them affect other people. And this is one of those choices that just really affects someone else. I am for both. I'm for both the well-being of the mother-to-be and the well-being of the child. And I am for looking at ways we can support and care for and commit to adding structure to our, to our legislation that gives women the support she feels like she doesn't have. So it doesn't feel like termination is her only option. So how are we to respond to this issue in the few minutes that I have left? How are we to respond to this issue? When in the lunchroom you enter into a conversation about it, because it's going to happen. The political spotlight is hitting this issue, and it will come up in your workplaces. It will be something that people say, oh, you, as a Christian, what do you reckon? And I wanted this message to be able to put some tools into your hands as well. So how do we respond to it? How do we engage 
Well, this is possibly one of the most important points today. Number four is with a full measure of both grace and truth. A full measure of both grace and truth. I'll get the worship team to come up and join me now. Sometimes as Christians, when faced with a culture of compromise, we can struggle to know how to stand firm and love well at the same time. We either become so weighted toward grace that we become tolerant of everything and create an anything-goes-Christianity that's full of compromise. Or we go so far the other direction and we're so weighted toward truth that instead of drawing people toward God, we kick them away from our high horse of self-righteousness. But Jesus modeled how we can actually do it both ways. We can present both truth and grace. In the Gospel of John, John describes Jesus like this. He says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He repeats the same phrase again in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John is saying, full of grace and truth. He's saying not a balance between the two. We're not teetering on a balance between them and we might weigh this way or weigh that way. It's the full measure of the full embodiment of both. Jesus didn't come to strike a balance between the two. He brought the full measure of both. Chris Hodges, who wrote, who wrote the book, The Daniel Dilemma, which I encourage you to read um, if you are struggling with this whole culture of compromise and how to stand firm and love well. I encourage you to read it. It's a really good book. But he said in the book, he said, truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. And I think we need the full measure of both. I'm gonna pop a slide up now onto the screen, that slide that I had popped up originally, which has got the, um, the website for Family First, but it's also got the website for Pregnancy Counselling Services in New Zealand. And I, I wanted to put this up because I understand, as I said at the beginning, that in a room this size, there may be people who are firsthand walking this journey. And we want you to know that there is support and help out there. And this is actually the counselling services that my mum counselled through for 20 years. And um, they are incredible and do an amazing job. So even if this is not something you're experiencing firsthand, I actually encourage you to jot that down because there may be someone in your world who comes to you and you might think, oh, I wish I'd written that website and phone number down. Now, you may be sitting in the room today and you may have had firsthand experience with abortion. And my prayer is that this morning you have not felt shamed or judged or condemned in any way. Please know, please know that is not my heart. But you may be feeling a deep sense of regret. You may be feeling a deep sense of loss or of grief. Can I tell you today that God is not just for life. He is for you. He sees you and He knows you, and He loves you, and He offers forgiveness and restoration for all of us. And often when we feel like something is broken, we are not sure how we can ever get back to making it feel right again. Can I tell you this morning that God has a way of working things out to bring something that you never expected out of a circumstance that you never expected to be walking through. God can still and will and wants to use you and your story.
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In this new life, we are restored and renewed through Jesus. He is not just for life. He's actually for life again. He's for new life. Can I just get every head bowed and every eye closed? I want to take a moment as we close this service. And I want to acknowledge today that all of us have sinned and messed up. All of us have fallen short of what it means to stand righteous before God. All of us have gone our own way in our own life. But the good news, in, the good news is, is that God in His grace sent His Son, Jesus, to take upon Himself everything you and I have done so that we don't have to live a life of judgment and condemnation and guilt and shame, but of freedom and of fullness. And the first thing I wanna tell you today is that God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He wants you to live a life of blessing and abundance on a journey with Him. And so I wanna extend an invitation today to anybody sitting in this room who doesn't know Jesus. I wanna extend to you an invitation today to anybody in this room who feels like they need new life again in Him. They need to just start the slate clean. I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. And all I need you to do is pray that prayer with me in your heart. Mean it with everything that you've got. Make this prayer your own, really mean it. We say, dear Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for me. Thank you that you took all of my sin and carried it on your shoulders and took the punishment that I deserved. God, I ask that you would come into my life today. Make me brand new and new. I wanna start a journey today. I wanna turn my life around. Thank you that you have given me new life today and a hope for my future. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wanna do one more thing. We would love to be able to not just celebrate with you, but I wanna encourage you to take a step of faith this morning. I want you to be really brave in just a few moments time so I can acknowledge you. And this is like a step of faith. This is, this is for you to say, yep, I'm doing this thing. I would love for you just to lift your hand right where you are. In just a moment, I'm gonna to count to three. And when I do, I'd love for you just to lift your hand so I can see it, give me a wave, and then you can pop it back down. Are you ready? Be bold, be brave. One, two, three. Anybody in this room? Awesome down the front here. Anybody else? You're saying, Bex, count me in on that prayer. I prayed that prayer. Maybe for the first time, maybe coming back to God. Anybody this morning? You're saying, Bex, would you count me in on that prayer? Thank you, Jesus. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you are for us. God, that your greatest desire is that we would be given new life in you. Lord, so that we can take the mess of our own circumstance and we can bring it around so it's a message of hope for other people. Lord, I thank you for the decisions made for you today. We celebrate with heaven this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate life's changed and transformed this morning.